listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. We are a general interest independent bookstore located in the Los Feliz neighborhood of Los Angeles, California. This year, because of the coronavirus pandemic, we've had to close our store and cancel in-person events. But Skylight is your neighborhood bookstore, and we are finding ways to create community even while we're far apart. In the coming weeks, we'll be putting out lots of new audio content to help you discover new books, connect with authors, and check in with your favorite booksellers. To learn more about how you can help keep Skylight alive, please visit our website at skylightbooks.com or check out our social media accounts on Twitter and Instagram. You can subscribe to the podcast on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Hansel podcast, a recurring series from the Skylight Books podcast. Uh, my name is Mick Koleski. I am your podcast producer and co-host, joined, as always, by my co-host. Maddie Gobo, events manager. <laughs> Maddie, you got some pep in your step this morning. I, I do, because I just had such a good interview uh, with an author just before we got on this call. And I'm like just writing the high. So I'll talk more about her book uh, a little bit later. And you guys will get to hear that interview next week. Yeah, you could not wait to gush about that interview. Kind of like was a perfect capper for your work week, it sounded like. Yes, it, it really brought, brought me home into the weekend. <laughs> in, a good, <laughs> in a good mood. Nothing better than a reaffirming author interview to keep your spirits up going into the weekend. Yeah. How are you doing? In- you know, we're hanging in there. You know, we're all hanging in there in this time of trouble and turmoil and a little bit of change. We've seen a little bit of change and it's been kind of, kind of rad. You know? kind, of, kind of inspiring. I feel inspired. <laughs> what is this feeling? Is this, <laughs> is this hope? Hope, hope. I don't even know if I'm I don't know. That I never, I never say this word. I just read it. It's hope. hope I don't know. <laughs> I'm suspicious. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm unsure. Um, so yeah, let's talk about this week because, uh, or try and talk about it as much as we can. Um, we've seen uh, the announcement of um, Minneapolis promising to rebuild their entire police department from the ground up, disbanding, and uh, the police chief is um, withdrawing from police union negotiations. I saw, which is huge. Um, we've seen Confederate statues and statues of Christopher Columbus being torn down and slave trading statues being torn down. Um, turns out, you know, we've, we've had lots of discussions about whether we should keep these statues up. Turns out the best way to do it is to just go out and tear the damn thing down and like (laughs) throw it into the river. And then just like, that's how we deal with it. (laughs) Yeah. Just, you know, ask for forgiveness, not permission. I think that's, uh, 
you know, <laughs> a good motto to live by in 2020. And you don't even have to ask for forgiveness because there's, that implies that you did something wrong. True, no. true. Good point. <laughs> um, what else? Uh, NASCAR banned the Confederate flag from all of their events, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is like, it, it's, there's a lot of things that are happening right now that's like, why wasn't this done 20 years ago? Or even before that? Yeah. And yeah. The answer I- is because we talked about it instead of doing it. <laughs> mm-hmm. it, is, it has been just an onslaught this week. Like so much is happening in so many different sectors of our lives uh, that yeah, is long overdue. I mean, to, to kind of bring it back around to the book world, um, we've had a lot of shakeups mm-hmm. this week. Uh, first of all, there was um, the publishing paid me hashtag going around on Twitter where authors were disclosing their advances um, for all their past books and um, it was a pretty rude awakening to see uh, I mean I was aware of this problem already but like to, to just see the actual numbers um, on some of these debuts from from white authors versus debuts from authors of color who you know then went on to sell many many books you're seeing huge mm-hmm. discrepancy I mean 800,000 for uh, for a debut versus you know, 10,000 for Carmen Maria Machado's Her Body and Other Parties, which, you know, kind of changed fiction for forever. So, you know, yeah. I, I thought that was a really interesting conversation to follow. Um, and th- that transparency is very new to the publishing world. Um, people don't really talk about advances and, and how they work and who gets them and why. Uh, but it's it drives a lot of you know the the discourse on the other end of which books get marketing and publicity and which books get talked about and which books become book club selections and things like that that's all driven by the advances so now we're finally kind of going back to the source of a lot of that discourse and and opening it up and seeing what's in there (laughs) and it's it's not pretty yeah, not pretty at all. And you can you can extend this conversation beyond the book world. I think this is something that we we talk about, you know, locally about how the publishing world operates. But it's you know the, the differences in salary. Uh, I think is it, it. I mean, it's obviously part of like the whole conversation about industrialism or uh, sorry, institutionalized racism. But um, it's also part of like this whole corporate culture of like not just talking about how much you make to your coworkers so that we don't have these conversations. Mm-hmm. So it's, you're right. It's really important for us to see these conversations happening out in the open, like even further transparency, not even talking about what you're making with your coworkers, but like talking about what you're making with the rest of the world. So people can look and see like, wow, that is a huge difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm glad that people are finally feeling comfortable and you know, have, feel like they have the agency to talk about it. We saw the whole Bon Appetit thing, the, the food magazine earlier this week too. Oh man. <laughs> I forgot about, so... I just forgot about that for a moment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just completely indicative of the problem. And for anyone who, who doesn't know what happened, um, essentially there's a, um, uh, one of the assistant editors Sola, I believe her name is, she had a really good Instagram 
story post about how much less she was paid than her white co-workers she wasn't paid for like video appearances she was making like 50k a year or something like that which is substantially less than people that she had more experience than um and you know i watched those bon appetit videos like regularly and it's definitely uncomfortable to see her i mean especially now go back to those videos and watch them like call her into frame and like ask her questions about <laughs> a certain like technique or something and to know that she was being paid like significantly less than everyone involved in that video so um thankfully the editor-in-chief resigned of from bon appetit and a lot of her white co-workers definitely joined her in in calling for greater equality what else happened in the book world this week there's one there's one big big thing big controversy that i'm thinking about right now <laughs> Yeah, I know what you're thinking about. <laughs> Joanne, Joanne, Joanne. Ooh. For those of you who don't know, J.K. Rowling has done it again. <laughs> they call her J.K. because she's got to be kidding. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I mean, J.K. Rowling, uh, author of Harry Potter, uh, enormously rich. Is she like the number number two, number three richest woman in the world, something like that. Mm -hmm. um, she has fallen in with uh, a school of thought in the UK, which is is much more kind of dominant and virulent discourse. Though of course um, we have a lot of it over here too, of uh, radical feminists. Uh, they call themselves gender critical feminists, um, <laughs> but basically. What they are is trans-exclusionary, or for short, TERF, because um, <laughs> they don't believe that trans women are really women, and mm -hmm. um, that they're all running some kind of scam <laughs> to, I don't know, I, I don't even want to go into it, because it's, it's really insulting and dehumanizing. Um, but yeah, basically, Rowling posted in support of, I, it was so, it was so like inside baseball, she was posting about some blog post by some other radical feminist, and basically, Rowling comes to the conclusion that um, trans women erase the experience and existence of cis women and, uh, you know, lesbians. I, I don't even know. I mean, she's just, it's just like, JK, you could have just sat there and ate your food. You know, like you yeah. could have just, you know, enjoyed your millions and millions of dollars, your legions of adoring fans. Especially since there's so much else going in the world right now, going on in the world right now. You know, we're seeing like worldwide protests over police brutality and like black rights. <laughs> and she just like pops in and be like, hey, no, you guys got a lot going on. Trans women are not women. Bye. All right. See you later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I mean, there's there's definitely a racial element in this too, you know, because a, a lot of the the movement for Black Lives Matter is is associated with with the trans movement for for rights and Black trans rights. You know, Tony Tony McDade was uh, one of the three Black people killed within a span of a couple of days, and and he was a trans man. Um, and uh, it's just yeah it feels incredibly insensitive and tone deaf to be calling into question the the identity and humanity of 
people at a time when we are seeing mass uprisings for the rights of people to live, you know, unmolested by, by figures in authority. And yeah, it's just, it's, it's a huge bummer. You know, I was a Harry Potter fan, of course. Like I grew up at that time, I would go to the midnight releases. I would stay up all night reading the new books. Mm -hmm. Um, and they brought me a lot of joy, but now looking back at them, I have a totally different experience and it's not just because I dislike JK Rowling's online presence, (laughs) which is bad, Mm -hmm. but it's because if you look at them as an adult, having read a lot of books, a lot more books than just Harry Potter, you start to see that, um, these books are not entirely original. They're actually a very canny and polished fusion of a bunch of different Western fantasy tropes and specifically British fantasy tropes. Um, And along with those tropes come racism and bigotry because those are really pretty baked in, especially in the British fantasy community Um, or, you know, the the classic fantasy, which was all written by white men. Um, Mm -hmm. and, And so when you look at these characters as an adult who understands the historical context of a lot of them you start to see oh the race of hook-nosed bank goblins that control all the money in this world that sounds a lot like (laughs) our you know the conspiracy theory about jews running the world it sounds a lot like a caricature um you know the subservient uh little house elf who only wears a tea towel that's a caricature of, you know, colonial Indians um, that's been repurposed as this fantasy element. So, you know, whether or not Rowling knew she was doing this, she was in creating the Harry Potter world, also creating this kind of alternate map of biases and bigotry that existed in, in her real world. Um, and I think, I think it's worth having that conversation um, among people who think of themselves as Harry Potter fans to be Mm -hmm. like, do you like, these aren't actually escapist fiction. Um, As much as we all want to believe that they are and we want to go to Harry Potter world and we want to get a wand and we want to drink our butter beer. Mm -hmm. They're not an escape at all. They, they reproduce the problems of our world like exactly. (laughs) Yeah. And Um, I think it's, it's also worth talking about how she has, you know, done a lot of revising of her own work, you know, the whole, like, oh, Dumbledore's gay now thing, and the whole, like, oh, wizards just used to shit on the floor, and then magic it away, and, like, you couldn't talk about all these other things, like, if you're really, like, looking at what your work is, and the things that you maybe want to, like, bring more attention to, or maybe, like, change, the things that you've listed are probably like should be way higher on the top of the list than like the, you know, the, the toilet humor or the the toilet functions of, of wizards, you know? Yeah. And I think, I think all of that kind of backpedaling is an attempt to make the books seem like something that they aren't, um, that, that they're this, you know, fully realized world that's complex and has all the kind of nuance that our real world does, but actually it, her books are all about categories and judgment and placing mm-hmm. placing individuals into these boxes so that we can identify with or identify against them. I mean, the, the books begin with 
uh, you know, a, a hat that tells children what their life is going to be like. <laughs> like, that's insane. Yeah. And that, like, that there are four houses in Hogwarts. One of them is for good people. One of them is mm-hmm. for nerds. One of them mm-hmm. is for fat people. And one of them is for straight up evil people. Like, those are the wait, four wait. kinds of people. Wait, is Hufflepuff the one with fat people? Yeah, I mean, that's like what, wait, what's what? kind of implied is that they're, you know, or maybe not fat, but like, they're kind of like the slow-witted, you know, like they don't really have a lot of their own ideas or verb. They kind of go along with whatever, you know, like her, like Hufflepuff is like not like a house anyone wants to be in. I guess probably now there are people who have like retconned it into being something better, but, um, and that's one of the great things about Harry Potter is that it created this whole fan universe that Mm -hmm. took ownership and, and did kind of address a lot of these issues that, Joanne didn't um, <laughs> but I just think it's insane to be like okay so there are four kinds of people <laughs> and these are right. them right uh, exactly and um, yeah so it's it's really not surprising that she has continued in her life outside of the Harry Potter universe to be obsessed with categories and fitting people into her boxes you know mm-hmm. right it is it is a little ironic by the way that Harry uh, gets put into Slytherin and then chooses to go into Gryffindor. So it's almost like the hat wanted him to put him one way, but Harry decided that he was something else. Very strange. <laughs> almost like. Almost like. <laughs> hmm. Familiar. That was a little reminiscent of like maybe the trans experience a little bit, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, we should also point out that there exists in. Harry Potter world, a potion that can transform you into any other person <laughs> that you want. Right. Like, you but literally she- envision this whole universe where this is possible, and then you're taking a step back and be like, but it can't happen here. It's, that's not how this world works. Yeah, and I, I, there's, there's, yeah, you're right, there's just so, there's this really intense desire to do something performative and then, like, not back it up you know, to say things like, again, to like tweet that Dumbledore is gay and then have the opportunity in a prequel movie that you are doing, that you're writing, you know, to to showcase that, but you don't. Like that's like, like keeping all the, you know, if you wanted to make that text instead of like a tweet that you made, you had the opportunity and you chose not to, so. Yeah, it's like not even subtext. It's, it's like, you know, alternate text, like in a different, right. <laughs> after the fact. Like, it's extended universe. You don't, you don't like, get credit for ideas that you have after you've published the book. Like, I'm sorry, that's not part of the book. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you can't like, and, and when you have the opportunity to, to actually make that concrete in, something that you're writing and you choose not to like you can't just say like well he is because i said so in an interview or something like that you know that's not how it works oh boy anything so we're going to be living in a post harry potter world i think after this is there let me ask you is there any series that you want to give a little like a little bit of a shine to right now a little bit of a shout out that maybe is a little friendlier towards yeah yeah, I mean, I would say, I would say, um, Ursula Le Guin's books of Earthsea are just mm. incredible. Like, I, my boyfriend got me the collected books of Earthsea for Christmas this year, and 
I was so delighted. I mean, I hadn't revisited those since I was nine and I read them while I was sick and, and I just like left earth. Like I just went to, I went to Earthsea and I didn't come back for a long time. (laughs) Um, And it was great. Uh, I think, I think Ursula Le Guin is, is such a good writer for, um, for kids who are into fantasy, but you know, want kind of like a more expansive version of it because she comes from this place of anthropological curiosity. Like she's genuinely really interested in people and how people form cultures and societies. And she comes Mm -hmm. from, her parents were both anthropologists. Um, So you, you get this fullness in her worlds that you don't see in a lot of other fantasy. Like, I mean, with Harry Potter, there are so many unresolved questions, you know, like, Mm -hmm. like the question about, you know, bathrooms at Hogwarts, like, like, you know, there's a lot of like rules of the world that are not spelled out for you. Mm -hmm. Um, And in a lot of ways, that's fine. Because when you're a kid, you don't really think about that. Um, You just, you just go in and you're like, on board, whatever. Um, It's easier to fund your disbelief. But I think with, with Ursula Le Guin, like, she's so rewarding, because when you go back as an older person, you feel that depth and you feel the care um, and the detail that she puts into all of her worlds. And I think the other important thing about Ursula Le Guin is that her worlds involve a lot of different kinds of people. Like there is never, you know, a white savior that everything mm-hmm. revolves around. Like she, she writes these multivocal novels. Like with, with Earthsea, you start out with a character um, who, who is dark-skinned, who's... Um, poor and who is from kind of like an outer island in the system of islands um so that character ascends to power and then you kind of switch viewpoints into a lot of other different characters from different cultures so even though it has like that epic sweeping feel of the harry potter books you're also coming at this world from a bunch of different angles um and you're not just doing the the standard hero's journey which i think is you know, it's a very compelling form and, and it's been around a long time. But uh, I think there are, when we think about literature for children, get feeding them something that is always about one hero saving the day, you know, or mm-hmm. one chosen teen who has to sacrifice themselves for, you know, to stave off the apocalypse or whatever. Like the stakes are always insanely, insanely high. And, mm-hmm. and, there, and the kind of exceptionalism of that, narrative yeah. um kids really respond to it because kids want to think that they're the hero they're exceptional but that isn't really how the world works and i think i think if you can broaden their idea of what is what a hero really could be or all the different kinds of heroes that exist um you can raise kids that think about the world as this multivocal place and this place where change doesn't happen from one person with special abilities it happens from a coalition of people which is what we're seeing right now you know, change wasn't happening with politicians, individual politicians going on crusades, but it is happening now that there is a coalition of people across this country joining their voices together. And that's like mm-hmm. a truer version of thinking about changing the world because you want to encourage kids to feel that they have that power, but you also don't want to lie to them <laughs> and tell them right. that the only way that they will be able to exercise that power is through this single-minded, self-sacrificial path, um, you know, where they'll be rewarded at the end by the powers that be or whatever. Um, So yeah, I would would say Ursula Le Guin's a great place to start. There's also, I mean, there's so many good new fantasy series coming out and often written by authors of color. Um, 
off the top of my head, uh, Nnedi Okorafor has some really great sort of Afrofuturist uh, epic epic fantasy. Um, who else? Uh, Jean Luen Yang um, does some fantastic graphic novel series, American Born Chinese, um, Boxers and Saints. Uh, what else? Oh, Amulet by, um, oh, I'm going to get his name wrong. His last name's Kabushi. Um, that's, that's another graphic novel series, fantasy um, with really beautiful and strange art and a, and a diverse cast. Um, so yeah, there's, I mean, there's tons of great new stuff out there right now for kids who resonate with a fantasy world, but um, you know, you don't have to go to the old standbys anymore. You know, with it, there's lots of good stuff. I promise. There's a lot of great stuff. Absolutely. Uh, I gave my brother uh, Children of Blood and Bone. Um, my brother's 13. He's 14 now. Uh, he loved it. So I'll give that one a shout out. But I don't have the personal experience to back it up like you do. <laughs> That's why I asked you. Great person to ask. Uh, and yeah, Ursula Le Guin. You can't, I, I don't know if I've ever been steered wrong by Ursula Le Guin. Never read something that I've been disappointed by. So in that regard, I can definitely back up that. Oh yeah, that I should also mention there's dragons. So just in case that helps sway you. There's a lot of dragons in the books of Earthsea. Good way to get me on board with anything. Just get, show me a dragon. <laughs> I'm in, man. I'm in. Whew, yeah, yeah. Let's, uh, let's that's a good pivot into what we're reading this week. What have you been, what have you been up to? Yeah. Well, like I said, at the beginning of this episode, I just had an author interview and um, the interview was with the debut novelist, Jean Keong Frazier. Uh, and it was about her book, Pizza Girl, which I just read for the second time. Um, and uh, like, I just freaking love this book. Um, it's, it's set in LA. It's about an 18 year old pizza delivery girl who's pregnant and spiraling. Um, it has, I mean, if you're an Otessa Moshveg Mosh fan, um, it has some of that like female slackerdom vibes, but um, I think it's, I think it's much more tender at its heart. Otessa's, you know, kind of can be kind of cold, <laughs> which I love about her, but, uh, but with Pizza Girl, I mean, you really fall for this character, um, for her voice. She's unnamed, so I keep calling her Pizza Girl. Um, <laughs> um, she's, she's just someone who's kind of right on the edge uh, of her life, of, of her adult life. And she's teetering, you know, back and forth between kind of two versions of where she, who she could be. Um, and she makes some really bad and terrifying choices. Um, but I, I really rooted for her so much. And I think it's a testament to to the writing of this book. I mean, the you, you're kind of in her head the whole time, and um, I just I just really loved being being there and being with her on her difficult journey. Um, so I hope you guys uh, check that one out. We're gonna we're gonna release that episode um, that interview with Jean on Wednesday the seventeenth. Um, so it's yep. coming soon. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So keep an eye out for that. Drop that on the seventeenth. Mick, what are you reading? Well, you know, after Between the World and Me and like between all of that, I've been reading Twitter. Let me put it that way. I've just been like reading Twitter and reading a bunch of articles. Um, uh, I'm hoping to get into uh, Gogol's Dead Souls soon, um, which is sort of like this picaresque like uh, satire about um, a man who 
I mean, I, if I'm recalling correctly, a man who trades in souls, namely the souls of like serfs. So I'm that I I'm hoping that that can be a, a good little uh, um, companion to sort of like this growing distrust of capitalism and like labor rights and stuff yeah. like that. Um, um, I love Gogol. Uh, I think a lot about his short story, The Nose. Um, I haven't read it. Oh my gosh. It's about a, a man whose, his nose leaves him. Uh, the nose becomes, takes on its own sentience and, and departs his face and quickly rises in the ranks in the Russian army. <laughs> <laughs> becomes a, uh, a person of great importance. <laughs> oh my gosh. That sounds incredible. Yeah, that's exactly the kind of like sharp humor that I need right now. And the Russians were always really good at that, I feel. Mm-hmm. <sighs> All right. And uh, what we've got coming up next, you, you had an interview with yes. uh, Angie Williams. Yes. So um, this this week and next week, we're going to be talking to our partners uh, where we've been working with these two uh, community organizations to um, distribute free books to uh, children in need and also uh, unhoused people staying in um, emergency COVID shelters. So the two organizations we've been working with are uh, the LA Public Library's Street Fleet team. We're going to be talking to them next week and uh, with the Punk Rock Marthas which is the organization Angie Williams founded. Um, you'll hear more about that in my conversation with her. Angie is one of my favorite people to work with. I've worked with her on a lot of um, school visits and she does so, so much for um, the public schools here in LA. She's, she's a public school advocate and um, she's just like one of those people who, you know, is vital to, to the community. And, and I'm so glad I got to talk to her and that we're working with her on this campaign. And if you guys are interested in donating, we've extended our deadline on the Indiegogo campaign. Um, so you can head over there and uh, donate money directly to purchase free books for, for both of these organizations. We have um, options for both. So you can select which one you want and how much money you want to spend. Um, and it's just like a really great way to keep our community reading and and get books to people who need them most right now awesome and yeah so look forward to that in just like a couple seconds yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah, hold tight (laughs) hold tight buckle up go and get right into that so uh yeah maddie it's been great talking to you as always the listeners will hear your tones in just a few more seconds um but uh, I'll talk to you. Talk to you next week. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Enjoy the interview, Bye. guys. Hello, lovely listeners. Welcome back to the Hand Cell. I'm Maddie Gobo, events manager here at Skylight Books. Uh, today, we're so delighted to welcome onto the podcast uh, a longtime friend of Skylight Books um, and a true force for good in our community, Angie Williams, the founder of Punk Rock Martha's. Angie Williams is a public school teacher and advocate. Um, She is also the founder of this organization that we're gonna be talking about today. Um, Angie and I have worked together on several very cool school visits. um, And I just, uh, I'm so delighted every time I get to hang out with her. Uh, Welcome to the podcast, Angie. Thank you, and the feeling is mutual. (laughs) Um, 
So I, I asked you on the podcast today because we've been working together on a very cool project with your organization, Punk Rock Marthas. Um, we started an Indiegogo campaign um, and one of the rewards on that campaign that you can purchase is uh, a $50, $100 donation of books to kids in our community. And the distribution of those books is being handled by Punk Rock Marthas. Um, so to, let's, let's first sort of introduce our listeners to this organization um, because they do so much good in our community. Um, Angie, can you tell us about who are the Punk Rock Marthas and where do they come from and what do they do? Sure, thank you. So, um, and also there's a really great YouTube video a student made a few years ago called Who are the Punk Rock Marthas? But um, we were formed 11 years ago, which I guess we're going on 12 years now, uh, on the Bernstein campus here in Hollywood. And we were a catch-all club. Um, and, you know, Speak was really big. Lori Hall Sanderson's book, Speak. And the goody, goody girls that do crafts and cool stuff. Um, were the Marthas, but they were preppy. So we were like, oh, we want to be like them, but we don't want to be preppy. We'll be punk rock, right? So um, if we were going to form a nonprofit now, we, we like Dave Grohl, would not pick the name we picked. But that was, that was our name. We thought it was cute, and, um, and it stuck. So basically, um, you know, we, we do community service, and we're very involved with the unhoused community. Um, we do a lot of soup kitchen stuff, and we do a lot of, um, you know, making of toiletry kits and, and you know, coat drives, blanket drives, things like that. Um, but what we were realizing is that that's kind of like putting a Band-Aid on a gunshot wound. And if you're not going to affect bigger change in your community, you can go to the soup kitchen every night of the week for the rest of your life. I mean, hopefully not, but there there are going to be certain people who are always in need. And we wanted to sort of change the system in any kind of way. And so one of the things that we were thinking about was how education, um, how education is and how there's a disparity, especially in our communities, right, with book ownership. And we got the Jim Prelease data on how important having a home library is and how much it makes you a reader and how much that sticks with you. And we just thought, look at these kids that don't have, including the Marthas, by the way, look at us, look at these, these people who grew up not being read to, not having access to cool books at home, um, not wanting to check out books from the library sometimes because they're worried about fines, which the library's been great at working on. And so we just started um, getting really cool books and getting them in to, to kids' homes and, and adopting our old classrooms and giving class sets to take home to our old teachers and just making that a thing that's grown and grown and grown. So what do you see as the benefit of making sure that uh, these kids have access to free books? Well, I mean, Jim Trelease did a really large study, and I'm reticent to use um, language that's that's basically coded racist language about underperforming, et cetera, et cetera. But but basically, it, it it's pretty simple. If you have books in your house, you are going to Number one, more likely to enjoy reading. Number two, be a stronger reader. And your, your reading 
level is um, tied to your academic achievement across all subjects, right? Because if you're not a strong reader, if you're a struggling reader, that affects you in history, that affects you in science, it even affects you in math, right? So people who, who don't grow up around books, um, don't, they're, they're far more likely to drop out, they're far more likely to have all kinds of other issues, you know, not to mention that these books are cool and they, they lead you into um, a lot of self-awareness, but, but academically books are really important because people who drop out from, drop out of high school, um, they're, they're just, you know, that's, that leads to incarceration rates, that leads to lifelong poverty rates, that leads to homelessness, etc. So we felt that getting books into kids' homes and getting kids excited about books was one way that we could plant some seeds that would turn into all kinds of beautiful, you know, a beautiful, a garden of beautiful things. I love that. And I think we're kind of seeing a version of this play out in the general reading public right now where everyone and their mom is ordering anti-racist books right now. The New York Times nonfiction bestseller list is all anti-racist books. Um, and I think people do understand that uh, it begins with books. Like you have, you have to start with access to ideas um, in order to figure out how to enact real world change, right? And I think that that actually, you know, as someone who has done workshops on like you know, being an anti-racist teacher, you know, that work is our work. And I mean that not as the Marthas, I mean as us as individuals, because we've been brought up in a, in a broken racist system. And if you can't understand how it impact, it's impacted you and your beliefs, then you certainly are just going to be taking your racist self everywhere you go and damaging people of color. So I'm really, really excited that people are sharing those lists and buying those books. And I, I hope that they read them and sit with that discomfort. We're actually, and just so you know, we are actually, we've ordered a bunch of copies of How to Be an Anti-Racist, and that is going to be our grown-up summer read. We're going to be doing a giveaway and doing some more of the work within our group, but also encouraging those conversations with adults. That's fantastic. So that's How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram X. Kendi? Yes. Very cool. And we also just want to say this too, we love Dr. Kendi, he's rad, um, but you know, there are a disproportionate number of, of um, black men and women, like we feel like women are always kind of the last to be acknowledged in their own uh, community, so in their own movement, and so I believe that we're going to do a second um, reading and we'll do um, when they call you a terrorist by Patrice Colors, just because we, we don't want it to all be um, centered around men in a movement. Yeah, I think that's really important. And I mean, yeah, again, you can see this happening in the uh, killers of George Floyd being brought to justice and Breonna Taylor's killers are still on the force, getting their full paychecks. <laughs> right, um, and that's really, really, people are not angry enough about Breonna Taylor, you know, people just are like, you know, as soon as George Floyd's, the other three, the other three officers were arrested, like, there was like a fire extinguisher. I'm not, not the movement didn't die, but just that, you know, the fact that this, this award-winning EMT was shot, 
you know, in her home. <laughs> and that no one, there's, there's, you know, I don't know if you even saw that the police report yesterday was uploaded and it's blank. I mean, there's just not enough rage for Breonna Taylor. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, I think, I think narrative is partly to blame here. And it's something that we as um, storytellers and book people need to look at very closely is, is the way that we elevate stories about men as heroes or as, um, you know, wrongfully accused or wrongfully imprisoned. And then women are kind of like, oh, they're these quieter, more domestic stories they, they, you know, they're not about moving the mass of humanity. Um, that's what men's stories are for. <laughs> and we need to really rethink that. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, that wasn't a question. I'm <laughs> just, just thinking out loud. Um, well, I'd love to hear a little bit about how the book distribution program is going right now, because um, I know it, it can't be easy, what with COVID and just general mess of our city right now. Yeah. So, well, one of the things we, we early on were taking books to some of the grab and go centers, and then that. Um, I think as the numbers increased, it was a little more challenging because, um, you know, COVID concerns. And so we went through like our friends at the St. Francis Center who were, they were packing um, the books in their pantry boxes because they're a pantry. And that was really cool because they, they serve, you know, hundreds of families. So they had, um, a lot of books and we did several rounds of that so hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of copies of books going in food pantry boxes in um they're near downtown so that was also cool because we didn't have as many um uh, we didn't have as much distribution there um we also worked with a teacher at rfk who distributed you know she delivered to her students contact free and we started martha book mail so we actually just started mailing them. Um, we've ordered some really cool envelopes and um, we're going to do offer that a lot more. And not only is it great and contactless, but in addition, it supports the amazing United States Post Office and boy, do we love our postal service. So, um, so that's one of the options. Another way that we are distributing books, um, and we've, we've been really blessed because you were so generous in giving us some beautiful books. And I don't know if people understand how gorgeous the books you gave us are, but you gave us like some really great titles, um, some, some great timely titles, um, and then some of them are signed and they're just so beautiful. Um, and we're, we're super excited about that. Um, so we're, we're doing Martha Book Mail, and also um, we have, for example, we've gotten some money from um, some neighborhood councils to work with specific schools, which is cool. That's that's helpful. Um, so we're going to be setting up at different elementary schools, and um, as school as um, students come in, so tomorrow is officially the last day of school. Um, so as parents bring in um, their textbooks. I know like right down the street from you, Grant Elementary, we will not be there because they've, they, they have a strict, strict protocol, but there will be like a stack of books and that parents can drop off their textbooks, but they can also pick up some summer reading. Um, next Thursday, we are doing an event at Paramoya Elementary, which is just for us so that 
people can come by, um, students can come by, and um, their, their neighborhood council has ensured that every single student um, is gonna get a book for summer, which we're actually doing something cooler than that. But, you know, so we're, we're making a presence where, we're, where there's time because with the uprising, some of the end of the year protocols for schools have really been altered. That was a little harder to schedule. Um, so we'll be mailing stuff and, and being physically present where we can. Wow. I mean, you guys are busy, it sounds like. About how many people are working with Punk Rock Marthas right now? Right now, you know, we have a few of the high school students um, that are in the periphery um, for a lot of reasons. They're, they're dealing with high school student issues and parental issues and safety concerns. Um, so we've we have about 12, 13 of us um, that are core board members um, that are basically original, that are, you know, now they're like graduating from college. Um, but, but about um, 13 of the original Marthas have been coming together and keeping stuff together during COVID. That's so cool. So a lot of these board members started out as high school students working with you 11 years ago. Wow, All of them. Mm -hmm. that's so cool. Yeah, and um, we just did a bunch of, of uh, hospitality kits for Project Room Key, which is the, which is the um, program that puts unhoused in some of the vacant hotel rooms. So not only did they need toiletries, but they also needed, um, they needed like they needed entertainment in them and they needed snacks. They were infinitely cooler. So yeah, we, we just did like 550 of those. Wow. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, so what kind of response have you guys gotten from the community in the last couple of months? Anything stand out to you? Um, does anything stand I mean, well, you know, when we first started giving books away, I, I, this is my thought too, because the author um, of the first rule of punk, um, who, you know, Celia, first of all, that was one of my favorite books that came out, obviously, in the past few years. And I, I started a reading to Catalan, and that was one of the selections, and I love her so much. Like, I don't know her personally, but I just think she's super rad. And, um, and, she reached out. First of all, we were asking for money and she, she made a donation, which is cool because she didn't know us. And then she asked, like, how do we do this? And I just said, you know, when you're going to start something, it's really, really hard to start. But it's, it's a lot easier to get people to support you when you've been doing something, you know. So that's been very, very cool. Now that we're seven years into summer reading and now that there's COVID, people feel a lot more comfortable supporting us because we've been giving out thousands and thousands of books for, for a handful of years now. We're not just saying, here's a GoFundMe, here's what we wanna do. There's a lot of that and I, I, I understand apprehension. So we've had some success with um, donations, we've had some success with grants. Um, and also just, um, you know, I think that we're the right amount of like socially active, social justice, um, interested in a lot of uh, 
you know, I, I said one time, this is really funny, I, I thought that our tagline could be, we're not the key club. Um, like punk rock Martha's, we're not the key club. Um, and and um, so, you know, now I feel like there's, you know, there's some, some love there. Um, we're also, you know, and I, I'm going to tell you a little, a little side thing. We redid, um, we redid the Elliott Smith mural and origami and did a, a fundraiser um, some years ago. And by the way, Mary, her favorite Elliott Smith song is Rose Parade, just FYI. Anyway, I didn't know she was an Elliott Smith fan. Oh my gosh, we got to talk about this. She used to be. So we redid that and we did a fundraiser for actually a trans group and for um, some, some um, parodies that he'd been fond of. Anyway, um, and that was so cool, you know, for us to do art projects because we started in art and then, you know, we get bogged down with like books and, and you know, soup kitchen and books in soup kitchen, which is so cool. But we do, we did apply for a grant and we do have a really cool mural we're going to be working on this summer. Also with Jennifer Corson, a, a local artist that we've been talking about for a long, long time. And so we're really excited um, to see so much support and have people contacting us about things we, we haven't done in a while and been wanting to do. Uh, where's this mural going to be? Can you tell me? Um, I'll just say it's in Hollywood. Oh, all right. I'll keep my eyes peeled for it. Well, we'll, we'll let you know. We still have to go through the, we have to get the permit for, for it. So, but, um, you know, that's been something I, I've wanted to get back to because it is, this will be another community building project. It will be not just us. Um, and it's timely, even though it really, we've, we've been working on it, actively working on it for like seven months, but now it's, it's super timely. And, you know, it's just, it's good to be supported, um, it's good to be supported in a time like this. Yeah, absolutely. So for our listeners who are into what Punk Rock Marthas are doing, um, how can they get involved? How can they support you guys? Oh, well, um, I mean, well, one, they can follow us on social media and that's free. Um, we're, we're a little bit slow on the Facebook because, you know, yes, we hate Mark Zuckerberg. I said it. Um, <laughs> um, we are, we're on Insta and we're on Twitter. And interestingly, we don't have the same following on those two platforms. Um, but we do have a presence on both. And that, that's great if, if you want to support us there. Um, we do have PayPal and our links are on both of those if people feel moved and they want to make a donation, if they want it to specifically be um, for something, if they want it to go for books, they can put that in the memo or they want it to be for um, people experiencing homelessness, you know, for the unhoused community, they can do that too. But um, we are all volunteer. So every penny that we get goes straight back into the community and um, we are able to do an awful lot with it. Very cool. And are you looking for more volunteers, more high school students who would be, might be interested? Oh, we are always looking for more volunteers. You know, that's the one problem with having high school students is that they graduate. Like we just lost, I don't want to say lost, but 
when they graduate, a lot of them go away to college, or even if they're local, they're just so, so busy their freshman year. You know, it's very, very hard for college freshmen and college sophomores to come and volunteer with us, even if their heart's in it. Like sometimes around the holidays, we see them, but it's, it's challenging. So we're always looking for um, fresh young volunteers that, that are motivated um, because we constantly need to replenish that, those, those hours. All right. Well, you heard it here. Uh, sign up for Punk Rock Martha's. Get a cool t-shirt. Do they get a t-shirt if they volunteer with you guys? Yes, of course. <laughs> there you go. You get a free t-shirt. Totally worth it. Um, all right. Well, is there anything else you want to talk about? Any other cool projects you're excited about or other, other news you want to share? You know, the only thing I really wanted to say, because it's you and me, here is I just wanted to tell your listeners and by the way if you're listening to Skylight podcast I think I think we'd be really cool friends um because Skylight is the coolest coolest business and I'm so so glad you guys had an Indiegogo campaign um and that we didn't lose you in in COVID um I we've made a real conscientious effort to not support um pesos and Amazon because they're you know they're predatory and they're awful and I think people really need they really need to think about not only their mind and their consciousness and all these anti-racist books but they need to think about where they're spending their money mm-hmm. I wanted to just say that I'm really really glad um, but additionally I just wanted to talk for like a quick second about the fact that that you and I um, we, you know, I got money from the Hollywood United Neighborhood Council, and we got Christian Robinson this school year. This school year, we got Christian Robinson to come out for the kids at Paramoya, and every kinder, first, and second grader got an autographed copy of his book, and they got to hear him speak. And I just think that people should know, you know, that was like one little media post. You know, there's so many cool things that we're doing and so cool to work with you, and everyone should just know how rad you are all the time. Oh, stop, Angie, I'm going to cry. <laughs> I mean, no. that Christian Robinson event was such a highlight, like maybe of my whole year. Um, he's delightful, and he drew me a big uh, fox to hang up in my office, and I still have it up there. Um, and he's just, yeah, it was, that was kind of one of those events where I was like, this is why indie bookstores matter. Um, not just because we can offer an alternative to Amazon, but because we can do stuff like this, where we partner with local organizations and give books to kids. Like, and we get them, we get the author and they get to meet the author for free. Like Amazon's not doing that. <laughs> so exactly. That, re- exactly. that really fed my spirit. Um, so thank you for working with me on that and all, all of the hard work you put into getting those books paid for. Yes, and you know, big, big fan of uh, Fairfax. Christian Robinson is a Fairfax Lion alum, so woohoo! You know, he's he's LA. He's an LA guy, so we we love him extra. Absolutely. All right. Well, Angie, thank you so much for your time today and uh, for telling us all about the great work you're doing. And uh, keep it up. Woo-hoo. Thank you so much, Maddie. Thank you for having us, and thank you for listening to this long podcast about books and homelessness. Y'all are (laughs) rad. Yeah. 
Thank you for listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. Please don't forget to visit our website at skylightbooks.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more author talks and bookseller conversations. You can find us on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Stay safe and healthy, and we hope to see you back in our store soon. I see.